Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Hey, Milestone family, it's great to be with you here in Texas. I love Texas. If I, if I wasn't called to South Florida, I'd live in Texas, baby. And I'd probably be preaching, packing at the same time. You know what I mean? I just love Texas. My grandfather, my great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher back in the 1890s, and he always was packing because he used to be a town sheriff. And uh, so the, the, the Mullins preachers have been known to pack from time to time. But anyways... <laughs> It's just great to be in Texas, and I love your pastor so much. I tell you, your pastor has become like a, a son to me and his precious wife, and I'm so excited what God's doing here at Milestone Church. And uh, I tell you what else, I, every time I come, I have to resist the temptation to recruit the staff because you've got some of the greatest staff members here, and I'm a little football coach, so coaches are always recruiting. I'm always looking for talent, you know what I mean? And I see so much talent around this place. So listen, you better love on them, take good care of them. Or they could be living in South Florida. That's all I got to say. But uh, I promised uh, Jeff, I would not recruit any team members away while he's gone this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I got an interesting phone call a couple years ago inviting me back to my high school reunion, my 50th high school reunion. 50th, I, I couldn't put that together because I'm waiting. I'm only in my mid-50s, so how do I have a 50th high school reunion? Now, I'm, I, I'm older. I will admit I'm older, but I'm not old. There's nothing old about me. I don't hang out with old people. I, I, I'm, I'm young. I'm young. Now, I do get shocked every once in a while, and I look in the mirror, and I try to figure out who is that I'm looking at now. But to go back to that reunion, I had no desire to go back to my reunion. I had no desire to go back and see those people, and I, I figured they were probably old. And I didn't want to hang out with a bunch of old people. You know what I mean? So she, I said, no, I can't come. I've got, she said, well, you're president of our class. You should be there. You were the captain of the football team. You were captain of the basketball team. You're captain of the track team. You were the, why aren't you going to be there? It's your class. And I'm going, well, I can't come. I can't come. I got to speak. I, I, know, I know I got something without even looking at my schedule. I know I got something. I can't come. She calls me back about a week later. She says, all right, you got to come now. I said, why do I have to come now? She said, because Coach Young is going to be there, and he wants to see you. Coach Young was my high school football coach and track coach, and he wants to see me. So you know what I did. I changed my schedule. I said, all right, I'll be there. So I, I, I arrived in Cincinnati, Ohio, drove north Cincinnati, Ohio to this little country club where they were hosting this event. And uh, I got my cousin to come with me because my cousin and I had uh, grown up playing football together. We played, you know, in the peewee leagues all the way up. We played ball together. And um, so I said, Carl, you got to come with me because I'm scared to go look at these people alone, okay? And, and so we, we drive in. He drives me in into this parking lot, and I swear, I saw this sight I couldn't believe. It looked like a nursing home bus had just let all these people off. I mean, they're on walkers, they're in wheelchairs, they, some of them are dragging oxygen tanks around with them. I'm going, who in the world are these people? And he says, that's our class. I said, oh my goodness. I mean, at that moment, it was shocking to me. And so I looked for my coach, and I saw him standing over there, 
And so I blocked out all these other people and I got my courage up and I walked through them and I, and I went over to my coach and I put my arms around him and said, coach, I love you. Tears started to run down my eyes as he hugged me again. See, when I was 16 years old, I was coming out for our junior year of football and uh, I'd played and started as a freshman on our, our high school team and then sophomore, I started there too. And so my junior year, I come out he calls me over, hey, Mullins, come over here. And I, I come over to start practices, and I say, yeah, coach, what's up? And he says, Mullins, he said, uh, you've got potential to play at the next level. So I, I want you to really work hard this year, and I'm going to work hard for you, but you've got to really work hard because you can play at that next level. Do you realize what that meant to me as a six-year-old boy to have my coach say, I see the potential in you to play at the next level? And every kid that, that plays any sport has aspirations of playing at the next level. No one in my family had ever been to college, let alone play football in college. And now I got a coach saying to me, I see the potential in you that you can play at the next level. Wow. So 50 some years later, I dropped everything in my schedule and flew to Cincinnati, Ohio to see that man because of that moment when he spoke called the champion out in me and believed in me. Do you realize the power of affirmation? And all of us long for someone to believe in us, see the best in us, and to call that best out of us. Every one of us. We were, we were built that way because we were built for the affirmation of God. And we were built to affirm him. And we have a longing for him to affirm us. It's wired in our DNA. It's wired into the family dynamic. I remember that when I, I had one ball game, we were playing one of the weaker teams in our league and I had a really good game that night. I rushed for five touchdowns in the first half for 276 yards in one half. That's a pretty decent half. You know what I mean? Now, we were playing Rosarian School for the Blind, but it was a good game. It was a good game. You know, I, 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 you know it was a good game. I was having a good game. I remember that game was over. I ran to my dad. He, my dad was always there on the sidelines. And I went to dad like a little puppy dog wanting affirmation. I, yeah, dad, tell me, I, tell me I had a good game. T -t tell me I had a good game. He looked at me. He goes, you know, you missed that tackle over there. And, you know, you, you could have been better on that one block. And he started pointing out all the things that were that I messed up in the game he didn't talk once about any of my touchdowns he didn't talk about any of that he did not know how my dad did not know how to affirm you because he had never been affirmed his whole family their theme song was from the old hee-haw show gloom despair and agony on me Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. I mean, that was the mentality of my father's family. They just could not say anything positive. If you said something positive about someone, they felt it was their spiritual gift and duty to counteract that by saying something negative and critical about them. I never heard a positive word come out of any of my father's family in all my life. Praise God for mama's side. Oh. Now, mama's side was totally opposite. 
Their theme song was zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. Come on, sing it with me. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine heading my way. Well, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. So where do you think I skipped to as a kid? I went to zippity doodah land. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to go over here to gloom, despair, and agony on me. I mean, it, you know, I want to go over here. So I gravitated to my mother's side of the family and praised God for my grandfather on mama's side. Now, what's interesting is Grandpa was Dutch. His name was Steenburgen, Dutch. And Dutch are pretty Dutch. But he was an Italian Dutch, I guess, because... In our household, you hugged and kissed on the way in and you hugged and kissed on the way out. That's taking the garbage out and coming back. I mean, you know, you, we're hugging and kissing all the time in our house. I, I, when you go to grandpa's house and as he got older and, and I remember one of the last times I saw my grandfather before he passed, I went in, he's sitting in the chair and, and, and as soon as I walk in the door, his arms are out like this for me and I go over to his chair and, and, and he embraced me and he gave me a kiss on my cheek and I gave him a kiss on his cheek and he, and he put his hands on my face and said, how's my boy? I said, how's my boy? He said, he says, you know, I love you so much. He said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful what God's doing in through you. I hugged him again and went in and hugged grandma. She's always cooking. I, I gravitated to that. I mean, you know, hello, praise God, I had that. My poor daddy didn't know anything about that. You, we've been in this dream house series and, and we're kind of wrapping it up and getting ready to kick into a new series next week. But I, I want you to know something. I, I, I really felt led of the Lord today to bring this simple word to you that the key to your dream house is when you understand the power of affirmation. When we understand the importance and the power of affirming one another in the love that we have received from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he came to affirm us. He came to call the champion out in us. Now, I'm translating the New Testament in a coach's translation, putting in coach's language. It's going to take me a long time because I'm doing it one verse at a time whenever I think of it. So... <laughs> John 10, you know, you know in, in John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I've come that you might live the champion's life, a victorious and full rewarding life. That's why Jesus came. The apostle Paul says in Romans chapter eight, where he says, you're more than a conqueror. I just translate it this way. Man, you were created to be more than a champion. Other, in other words, you are a champion of champions. That's who you are. And, and God's called this out in us. That's why he came, to call us to a championship level life. Champions think different, they act different, and they speak different. And we need to be a different people. The Bible says, there's one translation that says, you're a peculiar person. Well, I don't necessarily like that word peculiar because I think of some of my kinfolk on my dad's side. They were <laughs> peculiar people. What he means is you need to be distinctive in this world. You need to stand out in this world because you are different than the world. And you think about it. our world is pessimistic, negative, critical, fault-finding on every front. You can't turn the news on now. 
that we're not just tearing somebody down. It's like it's their mission. I got to tear down. I got to tear down. I got to tear down. I got to probe. I got to probe. I got to tear down. I got to probe and tear down. Wouldn't it be refreshing to be around people who says, how can I build up? How can I lift up? How can I speak people up? How can I call people up? How can I look? And, you know, somebody needs to believe in us. I tell you, some people have been so damaged by language spoken over them when they were young, they're still carrying that shadow and that intimidation from when they were young with them. My wife, my wife, my beautiful wife, I fell in love with my sweetheart when I was 16. I saw her, she walked into a church service, with brown dress on, and I went boom, 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 boom. I'm down, oh man. I'm sitting with this other guy named Junior. Junior looked like Fonzie. He had hair combed back and a big old duck tail. He had them, you know, they, hey, skinny jeans and nothing new. When I was there, <laughs> hey, when, 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 when I was growing up, we called them peg the pants. You remember, we'd take our jeans, fold them over and peg them you would, you would, and make them look like a skinny jean. And so he's there, he's all skinny jeaned up, hair flipped back. He goes, hey, man, I'll bet you a dollar I can get a date with her before you can. I said, you're on, baby. He lost. <laughs> but since that beautiful girl, no one had ever told her she was beautiful. She had never heard the words, I love you, from her family. Because her mom and dad had never heard those words. They didn't know how to express it to their children. She started hanging out with me and well, I brought her to my mama's side of the family. It's come on, hug, kiss, I love you. Hug, kiss, I love you. Hug, kiss, I love you. And here it is, the first thing. So I said, no, baby, you got to tell your mom and dad you love them. She said, no, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You got to do that. I said, go, aren't you going to hug them? Go hug them. We're getting ready to leave. Them. I don't know. She wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. So, so I said, I'll go in. I'll go in. So I went in after a few days. I went in and I said, hey, mom, dad, how y'all doing? I said, we're going to. We're getting ready to head to church. You know, we are, that's the one place she'd date me was church. By the way, girls, great place to date your guys in church. If they don't want to date you in church, dump them. Amen. Dump them quick. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. You know what I'm talking about? Just date them in church. So I always say, she don't date me in church. I had a breakthrough one Sunday night. She held my hand. Woo, woo, glory. I felt the spirit of God hit me that night. In church, when she held my hand, come on, Jesus. We've been in church ever since. She's been my girlfriend for 56 years. She's been my bride for 52 years. And we're still holding hands in church. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. So I went in, I went into her, and I was going, I started calling her mom and dad just a short while after I was dating. I was just, you know, our family, we're all this way, you know. So I go in there, and I actually went up to her mother. I said, I said, I'll show you how to do it. I went, I said, Mama, I said, we're getting ready to go to church. Give me a hug. She goes. <laughs> I mean, she was running for me in the kitchen, and she hit a corner, and I trapped her. <laughs> and I went in. It took us a while to wear her down. We wore them down. It took time. It took months, months, months to wear them down to where she'd finally do it. Now, towards the end of that, the time we got married, guess what? They're leaning in, expecting it, waiting on it. We all need that affirmation. 
We all long for it. And I don't know what's, what keeps us from affirming one another. I don't know if it's the insecurity in our own sense of true identity, but, but I know that people struggle, men especially struggle with it. I can't tell how many men, I'm the first man that's ever hugged them, they tell me. They say, you know, you're the first man that's ever hugged me. I remember this guy we got in our church years ago, and he was sitting over in this section right here. After service, he came up, and I was down there just ministering to people and praying with people and meeting new people. And, and he walked up, and he's going to stand in there, and he's a big man, okay? Now, he's about, he would take two seats to sit in, okay? He's a wide load. He's a wide refrigerator. He beeps when he backs up. I'm telling you, this guy, this guy's big, okay? He's big. So, so he, he's standing there with his wife and waiting, and, and, I, and I got done, and I went up and prayed with him. And I said, how can I pray for you? He's telling me about his aunt or something in need of prayer, and I prayed for her. I said, man, give me a hug. When, he, when I said that, he, he leaned back. Well, man, that just, that's a, don't lean back on me. That's a signal for me to go in full force. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you lean back, I'm coming in hard. I'm coming in hard. I'm going to hit you hard. I'm coming in. So I went in hard on him. Boom! And I hit him up here. I did a chest bump. And when I did, I went, that's as far as I could get. <laughs> and then I, I pulled him into me. Now, that was a mistake. I pulled him in, his weight shifted, and it leaned on me, and suddenly my knees start to buckle, and I'm buckling at the knees. He lays his head on my shoulder and starts to weep, and his wife was over there. She's weeping. She says, you are the first man that's ever hugged my husband. Man. I told him, I said, hey, every service you're here, wait for me over by the door where I exit the sanctuary to go back into my office between services. We have six services a weekend. And I said, just wait for me because I want a hug every week from you. He'd stand over and just wait. <laughs> he'd block the aisle wave, he'd wait. <laughs> I'd be walking out and I'd say, come on, come here. I learned how to do it too. I keep my weight on him now. I lay on him. I go, boom, I lay on him. I love you, son. I love you. Part of it is I don't know if we really comprehend how God sees us. Because if we could begin to see ourselves as God sees us, it would change how we see ourselves. Sometimes we've allowed how others see us to shape us. We've allowed our past faults or failures or weaknesses or even abuses in our lives shape how we see ourselves. Or the language that's been spoken over us but we need to see ourselves through the spectrum of God's eyes. I love the story in the, in the, in the Bible in Judges chapter 6 about Gideon. Gideon is a young man who's down there threshing wheat, hiding out. The Mennonites had been raiding the, the crops and the people during harvest time of Israel, and they were a menace to Israel. Now God's heard their cries. He's going to do something. He's going to raise up a warrior to lead an army to defeat the enemy of Israel. So he chooses Gideon. He sends an angel to Gideon to call Gideon and tell Gideon to build an army and go fight him. Okay, so Gideon's down here. So here's the angel. Here we go. Gideon. I don't know if angels talk like that, but it sounds better. <laughs> Gideon, mighty man of valor. Gideon's looking around like, a, what? Say who? What? Who are you talking to? Gideon, God is going to use you in a mighty way to drive back the enemies and set the nation of Israel free again. Mighty warrior. He said, wait a minute, you're talking to the wrong guy. 
My clan, my tribe is the weakest of all 12 tribes of Israel. My clan's the weakest clan in the weakest tribe. My family is known as the weakest family in the weakest clan of the weakest tribe. And I'm known as the weakest member of the weakest clan of the weakest tribe of Israel. You talking about low self-esteem. This boy's about low as you can get. Somebody been beating on him and saying, man, we're, you know, we're not fighters. Uh, we don't have any strength. Son, you don't really have anything. You're, isn't it amazing? Here's Gideon beating himself down. What's, God sees the potential in Gideon and what Gideon is about to become. And of course, Gideon finally yielded reluctantly and went out and led Israel to a mighty victory and became a mighty man of valor and courage and a great warrior. Gideon. I'm telling you something. God sees the destiny and potential and the call he has on your life. Don't you ever minimize who you are because here's what happens. If you start devaluing yourself, it will cause you to devalue others. And we can't really affirm others the way we need to until we first understand how we need to value who we are in Christ. What did, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what did he say? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's interesting. I'm thankful that my grandfather always spoke destiny over me. He'd tell me as a little boy, he said, he said Tommy, he called me Tommy. <clears throat> he said, Tommy, God's hands on you, Tommy. He'd tell me at all of God's hands on you, Tommy. Well, Tommy, one day God's going to use you in a mighty way, Tommy. Oh, Tommy, God's got a destiny for you, Tommy. That stayed with me my whole life. And even though I had achieved great success in the coaching realms, coached undefeated teams, had number one ranked teams, had all this success in the athletic world, there was always this thing of my grandfather resounding in my mind, God's got a destiny for you, Tommy. God's going to use you in mar marvelous ways, Tommy. He kept pouring that into me, kept calling that out of me. And I was 38 years old when I finally said, okay, Lord, I've had success. I want now significance with my life. And that was when I stepped into full-time ministry. I was kind of old, you know, 38, to go full-time. That's when we did it. Had no idea God would allow me to be at a place like this sharing with you because someone called the champion out in me, challenged me to live at a higher level, called me up to where God wants us to be. God's calling you and he wants to be an instrument to call through your life to impact the lives of others and help them come up to this level of life that God's ordained. That's what God's doing. So I want to challenge you to be secure in who you are, who you are in Christ. You remember the prodigal son story when he left, he, he lost all of his inheritance, he left and, and, and he went off and just broke every covenant, compromised every value, every moral in his life and then he's destroyed and he says, what do I do? Maybe I can go back to my father and be a servant in this house. He goes back to his father. What's his father do? Runs to him, loves him, kisses him, takes his robe off and covers his 
dirty, filthy, naked body. Takes the ring off, representing the family authority. Puts it on his son. And he said, my son who was dead is now alive. He had always been the son. We may lose sight of who we are, but God's never lost sight of who you are. See, he loves you and he has that divine destiny for you. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to know this. There is a champion living inside of you that God wants to call out of you. And he wants to shine so bright in your life and through your life, you will become a person who calls a champion out in others. And you will be used as an ambassador as though God were making his appeal through you. You will shine so bright that men will see your good works and they will bring glory and honor to God. See, God wants us to live attractive lives. Our lives should be attractive to the world. They should look at our marriages and our homes and go, you know what? That's what I want. I want what they have. I, I, I want a couple that really do love each other after 52 years and are excited to be with each other, still passionate with each other. I, I want the relationship I see between that father and his son. I never had that. I, I long for that right there, between that, that, that mother and her daughter. I, I long for that. See, that's what God's ordained for us. We, we are to be an example of the believer, uh, Paul said to Timothy, in your speech, in your life, in your love, in your purity, in your faith. Be an example of that. May our lives so be so attractive that when people are attracted to us, we can now point them to him. And I know one thing that attracts people when they're around someone who is sincere, encouraging, transparent, and affirming. When you get a person that really affirms, when my grandfather walked into any room, any room anywhere, I observed this. When he'd walk into a room, here's what people do. Watch, watch me now. This is very subtle. All right, camera, get tight on me here. Right here. All right, okay. So grandpa's walking this way. Can you get a little tighter? There we go. Good, good. That's good. That's good. Gosh, I need to do something about that. I mean. Hey, I had, I had one, of my, one of my elders of our church came in one day, and, and, and I noticed he looked very young and vibrant. He, and everything was tight and looked really good. And I'm looking at him, I'm going, Dick, you, you really look good. And he said, well, I, I did a redneck facelift. I said, what's a redneck facelift? He had scotch tape, and he had taped up all the... And I said, huh, we might make some money on that certain, you know, there's certain states we could sell that. Anyways, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was totally distracted. Here we go. So <laughs> are you ready? Here we go. So when grandpa would walk in the room, this is what people would do. I, I've observed this so many times. I've observed this about other people who are strong affirmers and encouragers of others. Here's what the people do in the room when that person walks in the room. You ready? Here it is. Here it is. You ready? You get it? A little smile will crack on the face and they'll lean forward just a slightly bit. You know what? You lean in to people who lean into you. 
You lean into people who have got a word of encouragement for you. You lean into people who believe in you. You lean into people who see the best in you. You lean into people who will call the best out of you. You lean into people who are there for your best. And when people know that, they will follow you. They'll follow you right to the cross. Because, see, God created them to be at the cross. And they're just longing for somebody to call them up and call them out and call them to their destiny in Christ. I love this quote by uh, Neil Anderson. The more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. Let me give you quick, three quick closing thoughts about how to establish a life that affirms. Number one, be intentional with your thought life. Don't allow yourself to go to the negative side. Stay in the positive. Think on the things of good report, Paul says. He says, think on those pure thoughts, those those honorable thoughts. Let your thought life, take every thought captive, he says in Corinthians. Take every thought captive, make it subject to Christ. In other words, we are bombarded every day with all these negative messages All these things that try to distract us. But you know what? If you're in the process of trying to dwell on the good things and you're intentionally trying to look for those good things in other people, that's what will come out of you when you speak those things over them. That's so critical. Number two, hang with the right people. Make sure you're hanging with positive, affirming people. Build Build relationships. Be intentional about building relationships with people who are like-minded in this attribute, that they want to be positive, be affirming, be encouraging, because it rubs off on you. Those you hang with rub off on you. Now, if you're married to them and they're negative, we just got to pray and fast. That's all we're going to do. Pray and fast. Get some other couples around you who are positive and encouraging. When I, was, um, when I went to play college ball, I, um, I thought I was pretty good. I was all state and honorable mention, all American. I thought I was going to do a great job at this little college. I was going to play football and on scholarship. And, but I didn't realize it's one thing to hit a 250-pound boy in high school, another thing to hit a 295-pound man who just got out of the jungles of Vietnam, okay? I, I was playing back in the 60s. Some of these guys have pulled, pulled a tour of duty in Vietnam. And you Vietnam vets that are here today, you understand what was going on back in Vietnam. And these guys had strange looks in their eyes. And I mean, and there was this like un, uh, unwritten code, kill every freshman on site. So I mean, it's like, you know, and, and they would destroy us. The coaches wouldn't give us any water or water breaks. They, they, they'd give you a salt tablet, like a salt tablet was supposed to save your life. Give me some water. I'm dying out here. I'm dying. I'm dehydrated. And then when they would bring water, they'd bring it in a bucket, in a bucket. They would bring it out in the bucket with a towel. You're supposed to pick the towel up and sop it. You know what sopping is? <laughs> sop the water out of the towel. Well, after every lineman with his dirty, grimy, sweaty, bloody hands got their hands on that towel and all the upperclassmen got done, then the freshmen are over there lined up looking at it like, can we even go into there? And I, I remember when it came my turn, I walked up and I looked at the bucket. A fly wouldn't even land on it at this stage. It was so vulgar looking. (laughs) I got to confess to you though. 
desperate people <laughs> do desperate things. And I went in. I remember one practice, guys are dropping like flies. They're, they're dragging them off the field. It's so hot. We're exhausted, dehydrated. I'm delirious. I'd throw up everything I'd eaten for days. And then the coach blows the whistle. Line up for wind sprints. Run these 40-yard wind sprints at the end for conditioning. I don't think I can move. For the first time in my life, I thought, I'm, I can't make it. I, I, I'm, I may have to quit. I, I've never quit anything in my life. But I actually had these thoughts of quitting because I didn't think I could physically make run one sprint. I couldn't take a step. I was so sick. I was heaving. I was out of breath. I'm delirious. And I'm there. <gasps> I thought I had a death rattle. It was horrible. And this senior All-American running back walked by me. His name was Charlie Pell. He walked by me and he said to me, hey, rookie. Well, I was stunned he knew my name. <laughs> he, said, he said, hey, rookie, run with me. I got down the stance right beside Charlie. I don't know how I did, but I drafted off of him. Whatever he did, I just kind of got in rhythm and drafted off him. I made it through that whole practice. And as we were ending practice that day, and, and I was dragging myself, I literally collapsed on the field. He walked by me and says, you're going to make it. Just hang with me. Where do you think I was every practice after that, every drill? Man, I was right beside Charlie. Wherever Charlie, Charlie's over here. I'm going. <laughs> and he got me through. I normally made the team that year. By the second game into the season, I was starting. I was about to quit until one boy walked by me and said, hey, son, hang with me. You're going to make it. Who is it you need to share with? Maybe even today, hey, hang with me. You're going to make it. I see the potential in you. I, I know you think you don't have the strength to go on, but I'm going to tell you something. You've got a strength in you you don't even know about. And there's a strength found in God that you don't really fully know about. And, and, and there's something that God has planned for you. There's a destiny waiting for you. There's a starting position waiting for you. You've got to get through this moment. But I'm not going to let you go through it alone. Just hang with me. That changed me there, that moment. We have people out there waiting that God's put in your pathway for you to call them up. And say, come on, run with me. You're going to make it. Matter of fact, one day you're going to start. So what do you think I did the next year? Now I'm a sophomore, big stud sophomore. You <laughs> Come on, baby. I'm looking for those little weary freshmen. Their knees are shaking. They've thrown up everything. They're exhausted. And I know what they're thinking. And I loved it. Because I'd get up beside them and I'd say, hey, rookie, come run with me. You're going to make it. That's the call God has on our lives. Hang with the right people. Become that right person that others will hang with. And finally this, keep your eye on the mission. When you understand, keep focused on your mission. When you understand our mission is, is to be that voice of God, that ambassador of God, the hands and feet of God, we must let the spirit of God from us inspire others. That's the soul let your light shine verse. And I want to tell you something. I heard an old preacher one time say this, and I think it's very true. He said, he always said this. He said, Sonny, 
He said, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. That's my best invitation of him. Think about it. The light that shines, the farthest shines, the brightest at home. All of this I'm talking about today needs to start right at home. Start in our relationship, start with our children. Okay, how old your children are, they need to hear you tell them how much you love them, believe them, how proud you are of them, what you see in them. If you haven't done that in a while, text them. Email them. They won't answer your phone call. My own son won't answer my phone calls. I have to text him. Son, call me. Oh, here's an old-fashioned thought. Write a note. You know, it's so sweet. Yesterday I arrived in, here in Dallas and went in my room and the team had a real nice, you know, welcome basket. And in there they had some chocolate-covered raisins and I destroyed them last night. I ate the whole bag. My wife's not with me, so I got away with it. Nobody to pound on me about not eating them and I ate the whole thing. Don't tell her. I cut this transmission. She might be watching online right now. I don't. <laughs> and I had a little note there from your pastor, Pastor Jeff. And I opened it up and inside he said, he said, Coach, we're so excited to have you here this weekend. You are an awesome spiritual dad. I love you, Jeff. I read that from your pastor and I got tears in my eyes because I do, I love him like a son. And he took time to handwrite that note to me. That encouraged me. We all need encouragement, don't we? We all need someone to affirm us. We all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone to call the champion out in us. Let's close with this verse in Psalms 19, 14. And why don't you read it out loud with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth. May you become a person that so encourages and affirms others that when you walk in the room at work, when you walk in the room at school, when you walk into the house, Here's what happens. Camera, close. You get the forward lean. Come on, I want to lean in. When I come to Milestone, I lean in because I know I'm loved and welcomed here. And when people come on this campus, when they leave, they're leaning. They're leaning in. Lean into someone this week, but start at home. Lean into your family. Reinforce how much you love them. Don't ever let they go by that you don't say those words over your spouse, over your children, over your grandchildren. Tell them how much you love them, how proud you are of them. You see God's hand in their life, God working in their life. God's going to help you. God's going to work. I don't care what crisis they're going through. You help them see beyond the crisis into the masterful hand of God that's gonna lead them through the crisis and lead them to victory on the other side. They need someone who believes in them. I believe in you, that's why I'm here. 
because I believe that God's hands upon this place. And he's going to use Milestone Church to be a catalyst for great revival in this region and in our nation that will impact the nations of the world. Father, I pray you will help us to receive the spirit of affirmation and encouragement that came from your very heart through your son Jesus to us and through your sweet spirit that would radiate within us so much of your love that it would transform us from the inside out and we begin to see differently, think differently, and speak differently because we are speaking from the heart of God. And we pray your continued blessing and favor upon Milestone Church that they will impact this region with the love and message of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, everywhere we go, every day, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 